0: Hello and welcome to Interpreting India, geopolitical realignments, sustainable growth, healthcare financing, inclusive digital transformations, climate change, supply chain disruptions, urbanization, and several other critical global matters envelop the world as India holds the G20 presidency. We at Carnegie India continue to bring voices from India and around the world to examine the role of technology, the economy, and international security in shaping India's future. Over the last three decades, cross-border violence between India and Pakistan has been interspersed with periods of relative peace. Until 2003, ceasefires along the line of control in international border in Jammu and Kashmir were preceded by war between India and Pakistan. On the night of November 23, 2003, an announcement of a unilateral ceasefire starting on Eid ul fitr was made by the then Prime Minister of Pakistan, Mir Zufrullah Khan Jamali. Following this and during their weekly call, the Director Generals of Military Operations, or DGMOs, From the two countries agreed on a ceasefire along the line of control, international border and the actual ground position line. And so the ceasefire came into effect on 25th November 2003. Given the violence of the previous 14 years, the ceasefire was a welcome move. The years between 1989 and 2003 saw cross-border violence touch record levels. 2001 and 2002 saw over 4,000 and 5,000 ceasefire violations by Pakistan as reported by India. Thus, The ceasefire resulted in a stable border and immediate relief for civilians. According to some reports, there was not a single ceasefire violation between India and Pakistan between 2004 and 2006. While others report the number was negligible. The larger change in India-Pakistan relations following the institution of the composite dialogue process also enabled different confidence-building measures on the LOC, such as the opening of passenger routes on the Poonch-Rawala court and srinagar muzaffarabad access enabling bus traffic and eventually cross-border trade. The period also saw the completion of border fencing on the LOC as a measure to prevent infiltration. From 2007 onwards, ceasefire violations began to rise, intensifying after 2013. The larger relationship too started to see tensions due to terror attacks in India, civil military dynamics in Pakistan, cross-border retaliatory actions such as the surgical strikes in 2016 and the Balakot airstrikes in 2019. In 2020, India reported 5,133 ceasefire violations on the border. A reaffirmation of the ceasefire through a DGMO conversation and a subsequent joint statement by India and Pakistan in February 2021 was a major effort to arrest this. My name is Surya Bhaliapan and I will be your host for this episode of Interpreting India. In this episode, we will be looking at the India-Pakistan ceasefire along the border. While focusing on the impact of the 2021 reaffirmation between the two countries, we will also be looking back at the relationship on the border over the last two decades and the way forward. To give us insight into these issues and much more, I'm delighted to be speaking with Ambassador Arun Singh. Ambassador Singh is a non-resident senior fellow at Carnegie India. He has extensive experience across the globe, including as India's ambassador to the United States, Israel, and France. Throughout his distinguished career in the Indian Foreign Service spanning 37 years, he has served during pivotal periods in key global capitals and was instrumental in shaping India's policies, notably the continued progress in the U.S.-India relationship, India's closer ties to Israel, and the formulation and implementation of India's policies related to Afghanistan, Pakistan, Iran, including in the period following 9-11. Ambassador Singh, welcome to our podcast. Thank you, sir. Before we get to the 2021 reformation and to set context, Ambassador Singh, I would like to go back to November 2003. In November 2003, after a period that saw high levels of cross-border violence, India and Pakistan declared a ceasefire. At the time, you were working in the Pakistan-Afghanistan-Iran division of the Ministry of External Affairs. Could you tell us what might have led to this ceasefire?
1: To understand the events that led to the ceasefire of November 2003, I think you have to look at the context of what was happening at that time. So first, of course, we had uh, 9-11 in 2001. Uh, After that, the United States mobilized itself in a major way to do a military intervention in our neighborhood in Afghanistan. Uh, Soon after that, uh, there was a Pakistan-sponsored terrorist attack on the Indian parliament on 13 December 2001. And there have been various interpretations of that incident, including uh, as a way for for Pakistan and its proxies to try and divert attention from whatever they were doing in Afghanistan to get some leeway from the U.S. uh, so that they would need to be less supportive of the U.S. effort uh, in Afghanistan and draw attention to the challenge that they faced uh, on the line of control and border with India. Now, given that major terrorist attack in India, There was Operation Parakram that India resorted to, a major mobilization uh, along the border, along the line of control, as a message to Pakistan that what they had done was simply not acceptable because if the terrorists had succeeded, it would have had a major impact in in terms of uh, hit on the political structure uh, of India. And at that time, the relations with Pakistan, went into a deep uh, downward trend. Uh, Rail links were cut off, bus links were cut off. Uh, The diplomatic presence uh, in both the countries was downgraded, cutting the staff by 50%. Uh, President Musharraf got the message, and on 12 January 2002, in a major address uh, to the nation, he committed to take action against terrorist groups that were operating in Pakistan. And as a result, for a while, the uh, terrorism-related actions against India in 2002 came down. But then we also had the uh, Kaluchak incident uh, in May 2002, uh, when there was a terrorist attack on an Indian military base, which again uh, raised tensions. But since broadly the terrorist infiltration and terrorism directed against India by Pakistan had come down a bit, after the state assembly elections in Jammu and Kashmir in October 2002, uh, India uh, sort of demobilized the troops that were present along the border uh, for the Operation Parakram. Now, at that time, again, going back, the U.S. is focused entirely on what they are trying to do in Afghanistan. U.S. efforts in Afghanistan are helpful from India's point of view. That they had driven away the Taliban, a new structure had come in place there uh, that India was able to work with and start a large number of development projects, which really enhanced uh, India's influence in Afghanistan and the perception among the wider Afghan public about India being a good friend, a friend that supports uh, through development and other projects. So given that, I think there was a sense that the objective that had been set for Operation Parakram had more or less been reached. and But then how do you take the relationship with Pakistan forward? Because you know, there has been a sense that um, Pakistan makes promises, that goes back on them, and no government would want to be embarrassed by taking positive steps and then be faced with another terrorist incident. But eventually, in April 2003, during a visit to Srinagar, the Indian Prime Minister, uh, Mr. Atal Bihari Vajpayee said in a public meeting that India was ready to extend the hand of friendship to Pakistan again. And that really caught the imagination of people, both in India and Pakistan and internationally, that perhaps now there was a way forward uh, for the India-Pakistan process, the India-Pakistan relationship. After that statement, uh, and then of course based on what came out in the public domain much later, Uh, the National Security Advisor of India and his counterpart in Pakistan held several back-channel discussions about what could be done to advance the relationship or at least stabilize it in some way. It was that that back-channel between them that led to the unilateral announcement by the Pakistan Prime Minister, uh, saying that Pakistan was now ready for a ceasefire uh, along the line of control and the international border in Jammu and Kashmir. And uh, and then, of course, we had the conversation between the directors general military operations, which at the military level formalized an understanding and a ceasefire uh, was declared. Now, it's interesting that technically, There is a ceasefire along the line of control and the international border since 1972, after the 1971 conflict and the similar agreement. It's just that in practice, it is often violated uh, because from the Indian perspective, Pakistan has violated this ceasefire from time to time, either to uh, get a favorable position along the line of control or to give a covering fire for terrorist infiltration into India. And whenever that has happened, of course, India has had to to retaliate, to deal with the situation and and protect its interests. So so that goes up and down. But when there is, it is felt by both sides that there is a military necessity to have a functioning ceasefire, or there's a political uh, sort of support for such a ceasefire, then it is reiterated, and observed far better in practice for some time. So as you mentioned, the ceasefire that came into being in 2003 held for several years before it dissipated.
0: Ambassador Singh, thank you for taking us through that context so wonderfully. Uh, to understand what happened in November 2003, it's important to understand what happened in uh, 2001 and 2002 on the escalation and subsequent de-escalation. Uh, this period of relative peace also saw several cross-border initiatives gather steam, the trade and bus service, for example. However, from 2008, for the next few years, and more so from 2013, we saw uh, violence return to the border. Uh, While violence did not peak to pre-2003 levels, the levels of violence were pretty significant. What explains the fact that the ceasefire held for those three years and subsequently violence returned? How do we understand that? So,
1: Surya, in the India-Pakistan relationship, uh, there is also a dimension uh, that plays out because of the civil-military equation within Pakistan. And uh, as you know, the military is the dominant political force in Pakistan. They have ruled directly for more than 60% of Pakistan's existence and from behind the scenes for the rest of the period. But They have tried to control the civilian government. And whenever they have not been able to fully control the civilian government or the civilian government has tried to assert itself, very often the military has carried out a coup. And that has been the history. Uh, So in 2003 and 2004, it was a completely military-dominated government. Uh, General Musharraf, who was the military chief, was also first the chief executive officer and then the president. So there was no competition between the military and civilian dimensions. And General Musharraf, as army chief and uh, as the president at that time, saw it in his political interest to maintain relative peace along the line of control and border with India. Because he was under severe pressure from the United States to take action against terrorist groups based in Pakistan, which were attacking U.S. troops in Afghanistan. And he didn't want to have trouble on both sides uh, of the border. Uh, As you'd recall, later on, of course, uh, Osama bin Laden was found in Pakistan in 2011. And there was a phase when the U.S. military, in its actions in 2012, killed 24 Pakistani soldiers uh, because of what they saw the infiltration taking uh, from the Pakistan side. So that's one dimension. Um, You will recall that in 1999, for example, when the Pakistani Prime Minister Nawaz Sharif wanted to move forward in a very positive way for a cooperative relationship with India, and the Indian Prime Minister Mr. Vajpayee had gone to Lahore um, in uh, early part of that year, but General Musharraf had carried out uh, an incursion across the line of control in which had led to a conflict between the two countries. So we have to understand that. But at that moment, it was in his political interest to maintain stability. Now, also following the ceasefire of November 2003, uh, you'd recall that Indian Prime Minister had gone to Islamabad in January 2004 for a SARC summit meeting. And on the margins of that, he had a meeting with General Musharraf. And after that meeting, they had issued a joint statement, which was seen as a very positive statement for their relationship. And in that statement, once again, General Musharraf committed That no terrorism uh, would be sponsored from Pakistan directed against India, and that all issues between the two countries, including Jammu and Kashmir, would be resolved in a bilateral way. Now, following this, several initiatives were taken. Uh, The composite dialogue process was removed, uh, was initiated. And I think both countries felt that let's see if we can use this opportunity to bring more positive aspects of cooperation so that a firmer basis is late for dealing with any disruption that happens later. So this was a phase when many confidence-building measures came in. And also many confidence-building measures were looked at in the context of Jum'an Kashmir, looking at uh, bus services going across the line of control, uh, trade starting uh, uh, across the line of control. However, during this period, towards the end, by 2006-2007, President Musharraf's position in Pakistan was getting weak. And by 2008, a civilian government had established itself, which now wanted to move positively with India. So at that time, the the president of Pakistan... Ali Izzardari uh, said that, you know, we should move forward with India on trade and other issues. He even said that like India, Pakistan should look at adopting a no first use policy on nuclear weapons, which was against the doctrine of the Pakistan military. So in that framework, the Pakistan military took action to disrupt what As- Ali Izzardari was doing. They started doing more violations uh, along the uh, line of control and the international border. And then you had on 26th November 2008, the major terrorist incident in Mumbai, which, as everyone knows, was sponsored by the ISI, and Pakistan-based elements had come across to carry out this uh, terrorist mayhem. So again, I think what led to the disruption uh, was the weakening of General Musharraf, a new power dynamic coming in and revived competition between the civilian and the military aspect of the political structure in Pakistan and the military seeing it in its interests to disrupt what the civilians were doing.
0: We see that civil-military relations between India and Pakistan is a strong determinant of what happens along the border. And uh, from 2008 onwards, we did see violence along the border sort of escalate, but more so from 2013, and uh, one of the reasons, you know, in hindsight, when we look back at this period is the 2013 election in Pakistan also contributed to, uh, was one of, was a factor in understanding the escalation along the border. Uh, from 2013 to roughly early 2021, cross-border violence, skirmishes, firing, shelling incidents were common along the LOC and IP. In February 2021, through the DGMOs, India and Pakistan reaffirmed their commitment to the ceasefire. From a period from 2013 to 2021, given levels of cross-border violence were so high, what suddenly happened in February of 2021 that led to a reaffirmation of the ceasefire? And why was that particular period in time? So once again, Surya, if you go back
1: and uh, look at the evolution of the India-Pakistan relationship post-2008, you will see the ups and downs are partly also related to the civil-military dimension within Pakistan. So after 2008, uh, because of the Pakistan support, direct support to the terrorist groups that had uh, acted in Mumbai, the relationship between India and Pakistan were really tense. But after a gap of a couple of years, again, an effort was made um, uh, from the Indian side to see if the relationship could be in some way put back on track, get again the elements of cooperation. An effort was made to make some progress on trade-related issues, Uh, And there was discussion, positive movement was happening, but it was not really uh, concretized. Um, And Pakistan walked back on many of the uh, sort of indications it had given that it would advance uh, through trade agreements, you know, give India more nation treatment, open up market access for more products from India. And it was in that framework that um, in 2013, you had elections in Pakistan, your government coming in. And Nawaz Sharif uh, himself uh, has had a very difficult relationship with the Pakistan Army. He started off initially as somebody who was built up by the Pakistan Army, by President Zia, to keep Benazir Bhutto in check. But later, when he became very strong as a civilian leader, he tried to assert himself. And then repeatedly he has been ousted by the Pakistan military. Uh, General Musharraf ousted him through a coup in 1999. And then again... He was pushed out uh, when, after coming to power in 2013. So so there again, once he was coming in as a way of constraining him from making any forward movement uh, related to India, the military again activated things uh, along the line of control uh, and the border, more incidents, more uh, sending across of terrorists. So in India, we had a new government coming in in 2014. And from what I see in terms of statements, reports that have come out in the public domain, the new government in India decided that they would give back to Pakistan measure for measure or even more for the ceasefire violations that were happening from Pakistan. So as a result, uh, post-2014-15, uh, the number of incidents happening uh, uh, along the line of control and the international border in Jammu and Kashmir uh, from both sides really picked up. And because I think the message from India was that we will not ignore what you're doing and, and you'll get in full measure so that perhaps Pakistan realizes the cost to itself of what was, what it was doing. And then if you recall, uh, a meeting of the foreign secretaries uh, was planned and, uh, uh, and that was called off. Uh, because uh, there was a sense that the incoming Pakistani delegation might meet uh, some of the political leaders uh, in Jammu and Kashmir um, that, uh, and the meeting that the Indian government considered unacceptable. So given that, and the fact that since then they have not had that kind of a structured meeting of the foreign secretaries uh, between the two countries. So I think this was the message uh, from India, eventually leading uh, to the surgical strike in 2016 and the action in Balakot in 2019, uh, a message that the restraint that India has shown in the past, uh, they should have some element of uncertainty in their minds, uh, the Pakistani decision makers, about how India would respond uh, to continued violation of ceasefire or to sponsorship of terrorist acts. I think that's what led to it. But I think after that, Uh, my sense is that um, uh, Pakistan also realized, one, that there was a limit uh, to their achieving their objectives in terms of what they were doing. I think India's action in 2016-2019 enhanced the uncertainty in their minds about India's reaction and that was not a risk uh, they wanted to take. Uh, And finally, you are seeing today the very difficult economic situation in which Pakistan is. It is trying for a bailout from the IMF. It is having to raise taxes. There's deep uh, unpopularity in Pakistan uh, related to that. Uh, So given that and the uh, the trends in the economic situation would have been visible for a long time. So I think from the Pakistani perspective, it made sense to tone down the um, tension along the border and line of control. And I think from India's point of view, uh, the messages had been conveyed through the responses along the line of control uh, at the border uh, post-2015-16, and then the uh, surgical strike in 2016 and Balakot in 2019. So the situation arrived to test if a ceasefire uh, that held along the uh, line of control at the border in JNK k met India's objective. So I think that is, uh, as I assess it, what is being attempted. And the fact that it has essentially helped for the past two years uh, shows that it was the interest of both sides now to um, keep the firing uh, down uh, in that area.
0: Unstable domestic politics, terrorism, and a weak economy, a possible reason for why there's been an escalation from Pakistan's end on the border. Uh, but as you say, it is uh, not many analysts at the time in February 2021. If you look back at the reportage, gave the, cease- the affirmation uh much of a chance. A lot of the reportage at that period was: "This is another attempt by the two sides." But we don't see how ceasefire violations were at the time three thousand, four thousand. We don't see how they would drop but It has been uh, surprising and positive that it has held up for the last couple of years. And like you said, it perhaps is due to the fact that both sides genuinely desire peace and. For the larger relationship, this is important to understand because it shows that when the governments in India and Pakistan, but also on Pakistan side, the military, when there is a desire for peace, peace is possible. And I think that takeaway is very important to understand. To my next question, I think we're still some time away from talking about spy balloons on the border, but one of the most recent developments on the border has been the use of drones. Uh, this is seen as a new type of infiltration. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about the growing use and whether these drone infiltrations would test the ceasefire in any way.
1: I think we have to watch it. Uh, Obviously, uh, as you know, drones are now being used uh, more and more all over the world. You saw the use of drones in the Azerbaijan-Armenia conflict. You're seeing use of drones in uh, the Russia-Ukraine conflict. Uh, So obviously they're seen as effective in terms of penetrating through defenses. Um, low-cost mechanisms for delivery of whatever is being intended by the other side. So they are being used and uh, again, drones, uh, as you would have seen from the public reports, are also being used uh, for smuggling. Uh, not just in Jammu and Kashmir, but also on the Punjab side uh, of the border. So it's a technology that is there. Um, now whether it leads to uh, you know breakdown of the ceasefire will probably depend on uh, the intensity, uh, the impact that it is seen as having on the ground, and if um, efforts are not taken by the other side uh, to to lessen the you know, challenges that they cause. So I would say let's watch
0: this. It's, uh, on a sort of related note, is it perhaps that given that human costs aren't involved in these drone incidents, they're seen as an escalation below the threshold that would necessitate a kinetic reaction from India? Uh, you know, what is below
1: the threshold is always difficult to predict. Uh, yeah, so at the moment, it may be below the threshold. For example, if you see in the US China uh, balloon episode, for a long time, I think many felt that balloons were below the threshold. But it so happened that it was visible, it was across the continent of the United States. Uh, it was at a moment when there is deep competition within the US between Democrats and Republicans to be more hawkish on China, that it generated a certain reaction. So, you know, it's very difficult to say what remains below the threshold, what goes beyond. So any violation, any provocation, uh, potentially uh, has a uh, chance of disruption. And that's, I'm sure, uh, policymakers on both sides will always keep in mind.
0: Ambassador Singh, as you mentioned, the last 24 months has seen peace along the border. But India and Pakistan haven't publicly acknowledged any conversations on CBMs like trade or other people-to-people initiatives. And this is one difference to, let's say, this period compared to 2003. Do you see this changing? But why don't you think we've seen any public acknowledgments of CBMs at the moment?
1: So again, going back to 2004, 2007 period, at that time, the military leader was also the head of state. And he wanted on the Pakistan side. And for his own political reasons, he wanted to show progress in the relationship with India. And um, now, but in this case, in the latest um, situation post-2021, as you are aware, at that time, there was intense rivalry between the civilian and the military establishment in Pakistan. And the Pakistan Prime Minister Imran Khan was not getting along very well uh, with General Wajwa, the uh, Pakistan Chief of Army Staff. Some reports suggested that seeing the challenges in the Pakistan uh, economy and seeing uh, the challenges that Pakistan itself was facing through uh, some of the groups that were targeting the Pakistani state. Uh, The Pakistan army, or at least the army chief, wanted to move a little more positively in terms of the relationship with India. And there was some talk of reviving uh, trading uh, arrangements, some elements of the trading arrangements. And uh, again, you'd have noticed that after the ceasefire, uh, there was a move to allow trade of certain products. Uh, from India to Pakistan, which Pakistan needed. But the political leadership in Pakistan came down heavily uh, against that and stopped that from moving forward. So I think uh, sensing that um, uh, within the political structure on the civilian side at that time in Pakistan, uh, there was no desire to move forward. They wanted to maintain a sense of uh, adversarial relationship with India for their own purposes. Uh, I I think um, uh, neither side was able to take that kind of a process forward.
0: While things on the border have seen some positive change, we're also aware of Pakistan's continued support to cross-border terrorism and militancy. More recently, the Pakistani Prime Minister called for talks with India to discuss burning issues such as Kashmir. At an MEA press conference, the spokesperson reiterated India's desire for normal relations in a conducive atmosphere free of terrorism and violence. There's also been some chatter recently about Pakistan's participation at an upcoming SCO summit. How would you describe India's current Pakistan policy?
1: So I would say Pakistan's participation at the SCO summit Uh, it would not be a major step in substance. Of course, in terms of optics um, in the media and elsewhere, there's bound to be a hike if there is a Pakistani leader um, visiting India. But Pakistan would want to attend an SEO summit. And if the summit is being held in India, uh, they will attend. And in fact, India has been attending SEO meetings uh, in Pakistan, even though we've had a difficult relationship uh, with Pakistan. So that's one dimension. Uh, The uh, second aspect is that from the comments emanating from uh, Indian leaders, um, one can see that India has not made the determination that Pakistan has stopped sponsorship of terrorism directed against India. And therefore, if our position is that we will not be able to move forward with Pakistan till it stops supporting terrorism, I think the ground is not yet ready to be able to move forward in that direction. Uh, so, uh, because, you know, support to terrorism takes place through mechanisms other than, uh, you know, ceasefire violations. So, while that um, the ceasefire is being held, uh, uh, other kinds of support or helping terrorists against India uh, need not have stopped. And so, I think that's the det- uh, determination from the Indian side. So, given that, uh, I think uh, as far as the India-Pakistan relationship is concerned at the moment, Uh, there is no indication of a political ground being ready for positive movement on different aspects. So I think if you look at the statement that the Pakistani Prime Minister made, he made it um, uh, from UAE. He was visiting UAE, uh, he was in Abu Dhabi and made it from there. I think it was a gesture more to the leadership of UAE to say that, you know, we are ready to move and if you want to play a role, we would welcome uh, that kind of a role rather than a serious uh, uh, statement directed again, uh, at India for forward movement. And again, you would have seen that soon after that, Pakistan Foreign Office rushed in with a statement that no progress was possible unless, you know, the discussion on Jammu and Kashmir and in, unless India took back the steps that it had taken in August 2019 related to you know, Article 370 and others. Now, that's something that's clearly not going to happen. So, Pakistan, I think, has to find a way: one, to stop support to terrorism, and second, uh, to understand the change in reality in the ground situation in Jammu and Kashmir, and the constitutional status relation related to the relationship between the center and the Jammu and Kashmir, and then find a way to move forward with India. So, till they are ready to do that, I think um, a
0: positive forward movement could be a challenge. Ambassador Singh, that brings me to my last question. Uh, whenever I write about the impact of the ceasefire, I often check myself. Is it appropriate to say peace along the border? If I can pose this question to you to conclude, is it is peace merely the absence of violence? What does peace really mean in the context of India-Pakistan relations and particularly in the context of the border? So I would not call it peace
1: on the border. One can call it quiet on the border. And if we are really talking of peace, I think we should look at uh, more positive elements of cooperation, Uh, Trade linkages, um, enhance people-to-people relationship. More people going across in both directions, so that we build a habit and a framework uh, for interaction, better understanding of each other, uh, rather than you know preconceived images uh, and impressions. Uh, And then you know we have more confidence-building measures, um, more cooperation in multilateral fora. So, once we are able to do all that, then one can say that we are building a framework and a constituency for peace and cooperation between the two countries. Before that, one can at best say quiet on the border and LOC.
0: Ambassador Singh, thank you for joining us on Interpreting India. Thank you, Surya. We'll be back in two weeks with a new episode. To make sure you don't miss it, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts from. To learn more about our research and team, you can visit us at carnegieindia.org. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Thank you for listening. See you next time.